So uh, we are going to turn our attention to Second Timothy again. I, I, um, I'm loving this book. I feel like Paul has read my mail and is writing just to me. This is a book uh, Paul wrote, or a letter Paul wrote at the end of his life, or near the end of his life, to Timothy, someone that he had worked with and mentored and ministered to, and so it's just a beautiful, beautiful letter, and I, I just think it, it's so helpful for us in a season like this. And if you were with us a couple weeks ago when we talked about um, the first, the last verse that we talked about was First Timothy one or Second Timothy one seven, where Paul talks about fear. He says God has not given us timidity. That's not the spirit He's given us. He's given us a spirit of power and love and discipline. So when the Holy Spirit comes in us, you know, as a follower of Jesus, we have this enablement from the spirit and it's not fear and so he transitions from that statement he says therefore into a whole section that deals with how to live unashamed and uh, we're going to talk about that today how do we live unashamed i i don't want to have regrets and i don't think you want to have regrets and paul's got some great instructions for us flowing from that statement of um, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So would you just pray right now? Would you just ask the Lord? We're going to put the scripture up on the screen and just ask the Lord to speak to you what you need this morning uh, from the word. Just ask him to speak to you. Ask him to take away, you know, any kind of distraction you got going on right now so that you can hear it. And then I'll, I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for this letter from Paul to Timothy that you inspired him to write. And we thank you that we get to meditate on it, to study it. But most of all, Father, we pray that you would use your word in our life this morning. And I pray that you would show each person what they need to hear and see as we, um, as we just spend time in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So he goes from that statement about not having a spirit of fear or timidity. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. Now, we just kind of think about that for a little bit. How, How might somebody be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus? Let's think about Paul's day. Let's think about what it would have been like. You know, we live in a community where people have heard of Jesus. Like that name, I mean, you wouldn't meet too many people in our neck of the woods that wouldn't have heard of Jesus. And we've, we've, we've heard the idea of the, the cross of crucifixion. So that's, again, something we're familiar with. But imagine in, in that day talking about Jesus who was crucified. That was a Roman form of execution. You were a criminal if you were executed that way. That, that might be kind of like, 
So God was a criminal? Like, that wouldn't have made sense to people right away. And then think about how Paul, when he was in Athens, he had this reaction when he talked about the resurrection of the dead, because in their mind, why would you want a body again? Like, that wasn't a, a good thought. So there might be, have been different kinds of reactions that people would have gotten from this testimony of Jesus. And then he says, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of the fact that, that I'm in prison. He wasn't there for doing evil. So there might have been this sense of reticence or reluctance or fear some kind of hesitancy. So let's think about just what it means to be ashamed. So here's an English definition, feeling shame, distressed or embarrassed by feelings of guilt, foolishness, or disgrace. So are there things that you're ashamed of? You know, if someone, maybe if someone's gotten taken by a scam, you know, like they, got, they, they, they bought this really you know, fake idea and they lost some money on it and they're embarrassed by that, you would be ashamed. Paul talks about the new life in Romans 6. He talks, about, he talks about the new life and the old life. He says, there are things that you were, were ashamed of now. And what benefit were they to you? Why, why would you look to those or go back to those? So he's thinking in that sense of shame of the kinds of things that um, you know, are negative. And, and we have those kinds of things. I, I'm... I mean, I can think of some things that I'm ashamed of that I thought or did. I'm sure you probably have a similar kind of experience. So why would we feel about Jesus the way we feel about negative things, like bad things that we've done? Like, why would you have that same feeling? Well, it might be more the second definition where unwilling or restrained because of fear of shame or ridicule, there we go, or disapproval. Like we may be looking to people for, for their agreement with us or their, their favor, and so we're reluctant to say something that we think might be something that they would disagree with or that they would be angry about or that they would ridicule us for. They kind of ridiculed Paul for talking about the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul's writing to Timothy and saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. And then he says, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. Join with me in suffering. And all you have to do is think about Paul's life and you knew what he suffered because of what he was about. He was in prison. But we got to think about that, that suffering. Because, you know, none of us say, well, give me more pain. Like, let's sign up for, I, I want pain. We call people like that, you know, masochists. And that's not, that's not a a good thing to want pain for pain's sake. But we have to think about what Paul is saying here. He's saying, we're gonna have difficulty. Join me in that difficulty for the cause of the gospel. And I, I, I want you to think about your expectations in this sense. What are you expecting out of life? 
What's your vision of the good life? We, we get this sense that I can have this picture-perfect life and I can avoid all pain and suffering, but that's not possible. We live in a broken world. All the things that are wrong in our world came about as the result of sin. So there is sickness and there is death and there is breakdowns in relationship. There is evil. And so that, that's where all this suffering comes from. And we can't ever, ever completely escape that. We can't ever completely avoid that. And it's, it's going to be present until Jesus comes back and all things are made new. That's why there's something in us that longs for things to be different because we have that sense. That's why we pray in the way we did. We, we sang a song that was about the Lord's Prayer. The first part of the Lord's Prayer says, hallowed be thy name. We want God's name to be glorified because it isn't. And we want your kingdom to come because it's not fully present. That's why things are broken. So what are you expecting? Life is going to involve suffering. And our expectations make a difference in what we experience. So I, I learned a really, really good lesson about expectations from Warren Stewart. Um, back when my youngest son, Eric, was, um, I think he was middle school, early high school, he played on a soccer team that Warren coached. And it was a good team, and they played, you know, competitively in the little league that they were in. And the parents were very involved. And so the way these games would work is the coaches and the players were on one side of the field and the parents were on the other. And there was one game where the refs made a series of really bad calls. I mean, it wasn't just one. It was like a bunch of calls. And the parents on my side were going nuts. I mean, so, so much so that we kind of want to move away from them because we, we didn't appreciate the way they were let's just say encouraging the refs, not, not actually that word. Maybe you've seen that. And, but I was watching Warren, and he was completely unfazed. And, and so I asked him about it afterwards, and he said, Mark, I expect there's going to be bad calls all the time. That's just a part of the game. You just keep playing. When we don't expect to have conflict or difficulties or hardness, hardships. We are expecting this world to be other than it is. And we're going to be disappointed. What we long for, what we desire, is the perfection of what God designed us to experience with him. We're going to have suffering. But then the question becomes, what are you suffering for? You see, there's all different kinds of suffering. An athlete might suffer in the preparation to play well or do well. A soldier might suffer because of the nature of the battle. But a criminal might suffer because of the choices they've made. You see, we can have suffering that is brought into our life because of bad decisions we make. Or we can have suffering in our life because we've given ourselves to a cause. We've given ourselves to a purpose, which is why going back to, um, sorry, which is why um, Paul makes that statement, suffer with me, suffer with me for the gospel. Suffer with me for the purpose that I'm about. 
See, as, as we think about what that Spirit does in us, he enables us to do that. So then what, what follows is he says, he says, suffer with me by the power of God. And then he gives this beautiful description of the gospel and this beautiful description of what God has done. I want, I want to read it twice. Some write that this may actually have been a hymn, that the early church was, was the way this is worded, it might have been actually something they sang or recited as a part of their worship. So let's just think about the fact that the God is the last thing before the word who there's who, a power of God who, okay? who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There is so much in these two verses. Let me read it again, because it's so powerful. God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God has saved us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You are able to read the scriptures and they make sense to you. You are able to pray. You were able to see the kingdom of God at work. You have the Holy Spirit. You've been empowered by him. You are saved. You are transferred and renewed and remade. And you have a holy calling. You have a holy calling. I know I'm a broken record on this. Calling is not just for missionaries and pastors. It's not just for prophets in the Old Testament. Calling is for every single one of us. You have a calling from God. You have a calling to live life with Jesus. You have a calling because there are good works that God designed for you. And this is what's amazing about this. It's not according to our works. Your calling is not because you've done something special. Like, I'm so awesome because I can do this. No, God made you and gave you this calling out of his gracious love. And it's not just about his love for you, it's about his purpose. There is a purpose that God is working in this world right now. And this is the amazing part about it. This was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. That means before the earth existed, before there was a sun and a moon, before there was a universe, God knew there was going to be a you and had a design for you in his big plan. Get your head around that. You're not some insignificant speck. God made you and designed you and gifted you and there's a purpose for you from all eternity. 
And this has all been revealed with clarity because Jesus has come. All the stuff in John that we looked at where we see God's glory in Jesus, all of that, all of that is in play. All of that is because Jesus has come. And what has Jesus done? He has abolished death. What you and I see as death, when someone we love dies and we see that, they don't see that. That's why Jesus says what he says. Um, about 20 years ago, I heard this story, and it, somebody read it to me in a class I was in, and um, I came across it in this book, which is not by Amy Carmichael. It's a story that Amy Carmichael wrote in one of her books. And if you don't know Amy Carmichael, she was a missionary in India. And she was born in the 1800s. She died in 1951. And she ministered in India. She was from Ireland. And she wrote a number of books. And one of the things that she was involved in was rescuing little girls from what we would call trafficking. And this is about one little girl, Lula. And Lula was very sick, and they called the doctors, but she wasn't. They they knew she was probably going to die. And this is what she writes. It was in that chilly hour between night and morning. A lantern burned dimly in the room where Lula lay. There was nothing in that darkened room to account for what we saw. The child was in pain, struggling for breath, and turning to us for what we could not give her. I left her and went to a side room and cried to our father to take her quickly. I was not more than a minute away, but when I returned, she was radiant. Her little lovely face was lighted with amazement and happiness. She was looking up and clapping her hands as delighted children do. When she saw me, she stretched out her arms and flung them around my neck as though saying goodbye in a hurry to be gone. And she did the same with the others. And then again, holding her arms to someone we could not see, she clapped her hands. Had only one of us seen this this thing, we might have doubted it, but all three saw it. There was no trace of pain in her face. She was never to taste pain again. We saw nothing in that dear child's face but unimaginable delight. We looked where she was looking, almost thinking we would see what, we, what she saw. What must the fountain of joy be if the spray from the edge of the pool can be like that? You see, when Paul writes that Jesus abolished death. That's what he's talking about. That it has no fear. And he's brought life in immortality to light through the gospel. That's, friends, that's the message. That's the hope. That's what we are about. 
This world is broken, and this is the answer. The things that our world looks to as answers aren't. Kathy, um, we've been cleaning up stuff in the... And one of the things that Kathy had gotten from her dad were these old tapes, like, like not cassette tapes, but reel-to-reel tapes. And so a friend um, transferred those into you know, digital files that you could actually listen to. And she said to me, one of them was like a politician. This is like from the 50s. The politician was talking. She says, they're saying the same things in, you know, like 70 years ago. They were saying the same things. Like they haven't fixed anything that they promised. You know, do you see what I'm saying? It's like... We have real answers. So this is why Paul says what he says. He says, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. We talked about that a couple weeks ago when we talked about how Paul saw his gifting. And this is what he says. I'm a preacher, I'm an apostle, I'm a teacher. I'm all about this. And you could say the same thing. I'm a, and then whatever your gift is, whatever your abilities are for the gospel... And he says, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. You and I, as followers of Jesus, who proclaim good news, have nothing to be ashamed about. Because it is the only hope for the world. Singing the song we did this morning about our testimony, we have a message that's worth sharing. And then he says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom. You know I'm big on pronouns. Notice that that's not a what. That's a whom. I know who I have believed. We don't have faith in a proposition or a statement. Yes, I know words are important and theology is important. and We want to have good words. We want to speak truthful words. But our trust isn't in a proposition. Our trust is in the living God, the one who created the universe. We are trusting a living God who is personal. And he's demonstrated his goodness and his power and his majesty again and again and again. We are not trusting in a what. We are trusting in a whom. And he knows whom he's believed and he's convinced that he's able to guard what he's entrusted to him until that day. There was a hymn that we used to sing when I was a kid that had these words in it. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. We are trusting in the living God. And there is an eternal future for us. We are safe in his hands. But remember what Jesus said. He said, you're going to have tribulation, but I've overcome the world. James says, don't be surprised at the trial. Don't be surprised. You're going to have difficulty. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean we give up. Just because people give us ridicule doesn't mean we stop. So I just want to leave you with three questions. What are your expectations? If your expectations are that it's always got to be easy then you're going to be disappointed with God. If things aren't the way you think they should be, you're going to get disappointed. Uh, We 
several of us in staff uh, went to a little theology conference virtually, and one of the messages was on lament in the Psalms. And I, I, I would love to say a whole lot about that, but, but there is a Christian lament that says, turns to God and, and says, this is wrong, and asks and trusts. So what are your expectations? That's going to determine your experience. If you don't expect it, you're going to get blindsided. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying be an Eeyore and, and think everything's going to go bad all the time either. That's, that's not accurate. Secondly, what kind of suffering are you experiencing? Are you experiencing suffering for the gospel? Then rejoice. But, but if you're experiencing suffering because of poor choices or because of sin, then confess and ask the Lord to show you the path out. Some of our suffering we bring on ourselves because of making the choices that we do. And then my third question for you is, what is your holy calling? Do you know that? Paul could say, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a preacher, I'm a, an apostle, I'm a teacher. What can you say about yourself? Do you know what your calling is? You have a calling. There are good works God has prepared for you to do. Do you know what it is? Because you're a part of God's plan, God's big plan, and it's good. And if you want to live unashamed, then live in that calling for God's purpose. That's that's satisfying. That's joyful. That's a life that is rooted in truth and in in what is eternal. It's seeking his kingdom first. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these words from Paul to us, how to live unashamed. May every single one of us understand the calling you have on our life and may we live it out. May we trust you knowing that you are good, that you are worthy to be trusted. And may we go forth with a confidence and a joy to proclaim the message that has hope for the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.